0: Hello again and welcome. I'm your host, Michael Peregrin. We're pleased to have you with us. Well, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that corporate directorship continues relentlessly to increase in complexity. If you weren't sure about it from your own experience, a quick look at the business news will bring you rapidly up to speed. Indeed, the ability of directors to fully engage with the board agenda and to be an effective partner to management are two of the most critical corporate governance issues in the current environment. These are issues that implicate a level of commitment by directors to be informed, attentive, and up to speed on their duties and on the issues of importance to the organization that they serve. This commitment is made more critical, I think, by the incredible turn of events this year that are impacting the agenda in many boardrooms. You know, there's the economy and its boom or bust roller coaster. There's COVID, monkeypox, polio, the CDC, and their collective impact on the workplace. There's the question of how the blue state, red state divide is affecting corporate policy, especially with respect to workforce culture. And there's the question of the increasing pressure on director performance, as well as the increasing level of director fatigue from all of the change. So to learn more about how directors at leading companies are dealing with all this, we've asked our old friend, Kimberly Simpson, to come back and visit with us. Kimberly is the chief operating officer and general counsel and corporate secretary for the National Association of Corporate Directors. She also leads NACD's first-of-its-kind director certification program. We're going to be talking about that a little later in the program. Before joining NACD, Kimberly held a variety of executive positions in the healthcare industry, including with Sanford Health, the Edith Sanford Breast Cancer Foundation, and Susan G. Coleman for the Cure. Kimberly, we're delighted to have you back with us on the program today with a little bit tougher of an agenda, I think, than we talked about last time, and to get your perspective for our listeners on what's new in terms of NACD's focus and orientation these days in support of its membership. Kimberly, let's start our discussion on something that's really confusing me, and that's the changes in the economy that we're seeing happen almost on a daily basis. I'm getting a little bit of whiplash from reading the paper on the latest economic developments and data. I'd like your view on what you think the board's position should be in terms of putting itself in a position of understanding what's going on in the economy and its impact on the company. How much does a board member need to know about what's going on?
1: Well, I'll tell you, it's like looking at a crystal ball, right? Because we, none of us really knows what's going on. I'm not not sure really there's anybody, including some of our leading economic minds, who might fully understand what's happening in our economy right now. But you know, one of the great things I think about uh, the folks I know who sit on private and and public company boards is that these are people who've been through it. And that's why you bring people onto your board with experience, running big P&Ls, being CEOs, dealing with supply chains, going through things like economic crisis in 2018. And it is, I think for them, something that is familiar in the sense that they've been through ups and downs before. That gives, I think, these folks a bit of a sense of comfort, but- one of the things i do find is that uh, these folks tend to be fairly wide you know widely read they keep close track of obviously the company's performance and working on sometimes multiple boards they're getting different angles on different pieces of the economic impact i will say that as we we've, we've gone out and surveyed both private and public companies in the last year Obviously, inflation has increased in terms of its impact on companies and what we're seeing from responses from both public and private company directors. Growing inflation, in fact, is sort of the second biggest impact on the board agenda right now for private companies. And shockingly, it's exactly in the same spot for public companies. So it is top of mind for everyone. And I think with supply chain interruption, also, along with inflation, there's so many concerns around company performance, that board members are staying in close touch with management and obviously, you know, taking in as much information as they can to bring to bear in the boardroom.
0: Kimberly, there's a subset of our listener group, which includes me, that when the word economics pops on the screen, they have images of Professor Paul Samuelson's 50-pound economics book that we were forced to read in high school and college. (laughs) I don't want to go back to that book again. But do you think that there's a fundamental level of economic awareness, especially with respect to this whole inflation slash recession slash job participation issue that board members just need to get on their own in order to be prepared for board meetings and interaction with management? In other words, is there a level of homework that a director should be expected to do on this important issue?
1: I think, as I shared, I don't. I certainly don't think anybody needs to whip out their, their textbooks. I do think that staying informed about the trends, both in the United States and well beyond, can be important for directors. They're also going to be getting a lot of that information in terms of how the economy is impacting the businesses that they serve from management. So part of their job is to ask for the right information from management to ensure they're getting the right look at the company's performance and also including the impact of various things like currency devaluation or the opposite, or supply chain interruption or shortages, et cetera. So I think that these folks are staying well-tuned to what's going on in the world through their normal channels, news, reading of The Economist, you know, what have you. But also part of it is just really asking for the right information so that they are preparing for board meetings to be able to ask the right questions of management. Board members aren't expected to know everything, and they're certainly not expected to be economists, but they understand how business works, and they understand how the companies that they serve work. And so they have to make sure that they're getting the information that's going to impact the companies that they serve. So, for example, if you are a director of a company that produces French fries, well, that may be a different scenario than if you're in semiconductor (laughs) business because – French fries tend to do well in all economic circumstances. So it just really depends, I think, on what your angle is. But keeping abreast of those items is really important. And even if you knew some of the fundamental economic principles, as we said earlier, this is such a topsy-turvy environment where we don't really understand, are we going to recession? Are we not? What's you know? We're still having job growth, but we have great inflation, rising interest rates. So all of these things are interacting in really kind of strange and unprecedented ways, at least in my view. And I think our directors are fully
0: aware of that. But maybe one takeaway from all this is if you are not getting the updates successfully on your own, make sure you ask management for their perspective and their briefing. That's part of their responsibility. Somewhere, somehow, you need to get the information if you're a director in this environment. Uh, Kimberly, I'd like to kind of stay on this academic level for a second. There's an important new academic paper that was just released from the Stanford Rock School of Governance, which I think generates a lot of good information, that's highly critical of the ESG rating process. It criticizes it in terms of its objectives and methodologies and incentives. It I think it basically undermines the informativeness of the basic assessments of the ESG rating process. And I think it kind of scratches at that sore that we all know exists, that there still is a little bit of lack of understanding of what ESG means. I know NACD has invested substantial resources in intellectual capital and developing and advising its members on ESG. How do you all react to this question regarding the ESG rating process? Is it real? Is it imagined? What's your view?
1: Well, our view is that it's evolving. And I think that's what we see when we, when we talk to directors out there. You know, from a public company perspective, boards are continuing to formalize their ESG processes. They are looking at board, again, this. Reporting up from management to the board, making sure that they're improving that board reporting. 70% of our respondents said that they were looking at approving board reporting. And then delegating oversight tasks to specific committees. And then, but they're but forty four percent say their greatest challenge is the lack of uniform disclosure standards. So that yes. is yeah, kind of that's, what we're, we're- <laughs> suggesting. And of course, there are you know great organizations like SASB that I think is important to look at. They have you can look at it by industry, etc. But There are so many differences by company in terms of what the right metric might be that that can be a challenge. So defining the scope of your reporting is a challenge. What is material to report can be a challenge. And that's really, those are a couple of the most challenging aspects of ESG oversight and really determining also in the alphabet soup of ESG, (laughs) <laughs> what it really means for each company and where the focus should be. So of course, Stanford does great work. They're one of our education network partners for our certification program and interesting always to see what they're coming out with. but it I would say it's evolving and companies are struggling a little bit in some cases with what do they report, what's what's really meaningful, the intersection between, what investors want to see, what employees want to see, what constituents want to see. It can be a, quite a journey, quite a journey. And I think some are further along in that journey than others. From a, a private company perspective, obviously they don't have the same kind of reporting requirements. Um, and so they're, they're in a little bit of a different boat within our public companies. But I think some of the key issues that affect public companies, likewise affect the private companies. And they have to be thinking as well about these issues, ESG issues.
0: Is the underlying message here that audit committees need to hitch up their pants a little bit more in terms of working with management on what they're reporting out and and the evaluation of assessment data and and the whole ESG process? Is is this kind of a a, a yellow flag to the audit committee in this regard on ESG?
1: Well, I'm just trying to, I'm visualizing an audit committee pulling up their bridges or whatever (laughs) just shared. I think their bridges are always pretty well pulled up, but it's I think it is a matter of having the conversations, really determining what the ESG reporting means for your company, obviously looking at what's being required by investors and having those conversations that occur with investors, of course. But looking at things like climate, is that important for your board? 54% of public boards reported an increase in discussions in climate over the last couple of years. So that's becoming a really key issue. So they might might not have been as focused on that in in the prior years. So they've got to really start to think about what does that mean for us? And not just what does that mean in terms of what might we look at as a company, maybe more sustainable practices, et cetera, but what does it mean in terms of reporting? And so, as I said, it's a journey and one that needs great attention and focus. uh, And I think we see that, that that's happening.
0: Yeah, let's pivot for a little bit to an issue that I know is of importance to NACD, uh, there have been a couple of new reports from the conference board over the summer months that conclude that board nominating committees are trying to identify more than the past directors with pure strategic vision, uh, the, what I call the kind of blue guys who can pull all, together all the perspectives of board members with functional expertise. Uh, but they're also talking about data suggesting that our turnover at board level continues to be slow, to be stagnant, and that term limits and retirement mandates just aren't getting it done. They're not working to move the turnover levels higher so board members with different perspectives and different experiences are able to join the board. What are you seeing at NACD? Because again, I know it's a topic that you all have been living with for a number of years.
1: Well, we are a huge proponent of board refreshment. And that's part of a board functioning well. And it, the board's composition should change as the company's strategy changes. And whether that means that the board has specific term limits or age limits is to us less of a factor than whether the board is creating that culture of turnover, that culture of refreshment, that culture of self-assessment not only just of the board itself and its committees, but also the board members on the board to ensure that they, not necessarily that they're doing a good job or a mediocre job or a poor job, but that they are the right person with the right skill set for the moment and the history of that particular company. And certainly we also believe that having a diverse board and diversity in all its aspects can also be beneficial to a corporation's bottom line. And so we've actually been seeing, I think, encouraging signs around DE&I and the uptake and the understanding of the need for the better oversight in DE&I, not just a, a diversity at the board level, but also diversity within the company, within management, et cetera. And so I think to your point of how are we going to make these changes? Well, I do think that this culture of the board that when someone is onboarded when they're selected and onboarded to a board that part of that onboarding be a discussion about this isn't a, a lifetime appointment that and and I think most directors know that but that there is this culture on the board that you're joining that you may be asked to step off through no fault of your own and other people may do the same and they may voluntarily step off because they see their skills aren't the best fit for the moment for that company and I think when you start to do that and create that culture of change and refreshment, then it will change more around percentages that we're seeing, maybe potentially greater than nine to eleven percent. I will also say, as you think about the last couple of years, you know, it, we've been in a pandemic, so I hope to see those numbers go up. We've been in, an essence, a crisis. So um, a lot of boards have probably doubled down on getting through the crisis, and so now, as probably as we Hopefully, begin to emerge so one of these days from the crisis. There will be kind of a look again at now that we're through the crisis, who do we need for the future, and what does that look like? I am, as I said, I am encouraged around the, the DEI area. Uh, we have a at NACD a Center for Inclusive Government Governance uh, because we also believe it's it's diversity, equity, and inclusion. So when you get um, a diverse director on your board, then you have to make sure they're they're included and their voices are heard. But in terms of oversight of DEI and the sort of the impact of the murder of George Floyd and the subsequent social justice movement, we've seen that 74 percent of boards on the public side now receive key DEI metrics for management, which is terrific. Sixty nine percent hold discussion on DEI priorities and a strong majority, 58 percent, say they've their understanding of DEI issues has increased since the murder of George Floyd. Now, I will say that there's still more to go there, and I'm getting a little bit away from the topic of board refreshment, but more into the topic of DEI, which is to say it goes beyond even who is sitting in the boardroom, who's sitting in management, who's sitting uh, as employees in the company, but also to the company's supply chain, vendor selection, uh, for, for purposes, it relates DEI, those sorts of things. And that's still early days. Only 29% of our survey respondents on the public side have reported they've gone beyond human capital issues in DEI, and i And then on the private side, I think we see something very similar, which is uh, 51% say that their understanding of DEI issues has increased since George Blood's death. But they're also having these discussions with management, really looking at priorities. So I- I'm encouraged all around, but I-, I agree with your original or the original assumption here, which is that we have to continue to look at board refreshment so that we can get the right folks in the boardroom to make sure that we're creating long-term value for shareholders and for, and for companies in our economy.
0: You know, just to pursue this a little bit further, one of the points that the conference board made in a May report was that uh, it was an acknowledgement that boards are increasingly seeking out directors with functional expertise and cybersecurity is always mentioned at the top of that list. Uh, What is the uh, NECD's latest perspective on trends in cyber oversight?
1: Well, I'm glad you bring that up because I think it's really interesting. I would say, you know, four or five years ago, as I was talking to directors, you would hear something like this. Well, we have only so many board seats and you need people in those board seats who understand the you know how to run a business, how to market a business. You know all the all the different skill sets you would typically see to run the the boardroom. Certainly the the financial side from the audit committee perspective, and they would say, I don't think we need a cyber security person on our board because we can get cyber security expertise from the outside and bring them in as needed for conversation. What we're starting to see is a little bit of a change in perspective. I think we're still kind of there because, again, as you said, there are not that many board seats uh, and certainly not that many turning over. But now we're seeing some softening on that. Uh, In our most recent survey, 42 percent of public company directors indicate that having a cyber savvy director would benefit their boards. And that's just even up from 36 percent last year. So starting to trend that direction. Now, if you can find a cyber person who also understands financials and the business and market share and all this kind of, well, then you're golden. <laughs> so for any of the CIOs or CTOs listening out there, get that kind of experience and you will you will do quite well if you're looking to, to be on a board. But in terms of the broader cyber oversight, it's interesting because uh, from the public company survey, cybersecurity threats went down to number five, kind of in the order of priority. And I think that's just simply a matter of other things jumping ahead. I don't think cyber is ever really, quote unquote, going down in anybody's mind. And I think something that boards are even getting a little bit more com- comfortable is absolutely the wrong word, but conversant. And in fact, 83% of our respondents in our on our public company survey said that their board's understanding of cyber risk has significantly improved compared to two years ago. And that's That's really remarkable. That's a huge statistic. Um, They're looking at things like the company's approach to protecting critical assets. They're looking at cyber response plans, reviewing the scope of cyber insurance, which, of course, is uh, another growing area. Um, And they're talking with management about the types of cyber risk info the board needs. And then also, some of them are looking at vendors and suppliers. We know that can be a real weak spot um, from a cyber perspective. What's also encouraging is private companies are doing the same thing and they're adopting really many of the same practices as their public company peers. So for example, with respect to what key data is being protected, 68% of respondents said they were looking at the the company's approach there compared to 72% of public companies. So getting close and they've closed the gap in areas like assessments of risks associated with employee negligence and misconduct. So like I said, encouraging news there in the sense that I think boards are really starting to raise the level of their game uh, as it relates to cyber and, and as as we know is much needed thanks to Russia and other state actors who are, you know, on the move. And so it's a threat that is still up at the top, but been displaced a little bit with some other some other items.
0: Before we let you go, I'd like to get your perspective on another topic where I think You and your NACD colleagues have suggested that board members are indeed upping their game, and that's the whole question of human capital oversight. Uh, I think I was reading today or yesterday a projection that inflation is putting an end to the great resignation. Uh, What's NACD's view about that?
1: (laughs) I'm telling you, that that is another crystal ball. Um, One would think that it would... You know, with rising inflation, interest rates going up, et cetera. Uh, certainly, if we were to tip into recession, and some may think we already we already have, but that we'd start to see a slowdown in hiring. But as we know, recent hiring reports are, are are still showing strong growth. So I think we're in this kind of gray area where we think it's going to end, or maybe it's wishful thinking because we're kind of over it. <laughs> um, but it is certainly something that's projected projected to slow down now. Uh, our surveys are are showing from this year that it is number one, a top of the heap um, really? <laughs> issue report. Now that, but again, things change in a matter of moments in this uh, world that we live in. So our survey was in market late spring, and and you know that's a long time ago in the uh, the world that we're living in today. But I do think even before we went into the pandemic, I remember sitting in a room full of directors. We had an economist up in the front of the room. And the economist said, How many of you are concerned primarily about talent? And literally every hand in that room went up. Now, that may have been more like getting a great CEO um, who maybe has digital transformation expertise. Uh, it may not have been, you know, obviously thinking that your receptionist is gonna work, wanna work from Montana. You know, I mean, there was a little bit of a different uh, world then, but it's certainly been on the minds for a long time. And we have seen it, obviously, as I mentioned, uh, hit the top of the heap here in terms of concerns. And so I think that we're not ready to probably call the great resignation over. It may, the name may change and it may be just getting the right talent and getting the talent with the right kind of skill set to move your business forward along your digital transformation timeline or uh, in keeping with your strategic plans.
0: Well, this is just fabulous information, Kimberly, as always, and before I let you go, I guess the, the thing where I'm still scratching my head is that something you just kind of mentioned, You know, we've talked in the past about how strategic plans used to have a VISTA of five years and then three mm-hmm. years and then two mm-hmm. years. And now you mm-hmm. were just talking about how critical issues such as cybersecurity and human capital oversight are changing in their focus on a, a quarterly or half year basis how is a director and how does NACD feel a director can possibly perform well in an environment like this where so much is on their plate and and it's changing in terms of scope and significance uh, multiple times to, in a year? How do you recommend, and this this week, of course, talk about for an hour, uh, but succinctly, how do you and NACD recommend that directors deal with this incredible and unique challenge of Big issues changing all the time.
1: Well, I would answer that question in two ways. The first is, in a sense, back to basics. And that sounds almost silly and frivolous, but I truly believe it in the sense that looking at the function of your committees, for example, if talent is your number one issue, then what is is your compensation committee going to pick up human capital management? If so. In, in what ways, or if not, are other committees going to do it? Really looking at your, you know, your charters and all the things that sort of govern the bread and butter work of the board. Also making sure that there's time on the agenda for strategic discussion. And because things are moving so quickly, I think boards really want to make sure they're carving out that time. But at the end of the day, I think the quality of board discussions, at least according to the surveys that we, we run. It's the quality of discussion that is seen as the most important driver of board performance. And so, again, making sure you have that good discussion, make sure that the board has the right kind of material to have that great discussion. And then, what we're seeing, particularly on the private side, is that there is more interaction with management outside of formal meetings. And that has been, I think, largely due to the pandemic. But I think there is a little bit more of a nimble nature now that we've seen with a little bit more connectivity because things are moving so rapidly. And so I think that making sure that you have the time and the the right material to have those conversations, to be able to be agile and to look at multifactorial challenges. You know, it used to be like, oh, we're going to have one big problem at a time. No, you're going to have a lot of big problems (laughs) at one time. And so really making sure that you've got your your well-oiled machine in terms of the, the bread and butter pieces, and then that you are having those discussions that really get to the heart of what's going to impact your company's bottom bottom line. I would say really it's those two things.
0: And we've got a few seconds left, but I want to make sure that we get an update for you before we shut down on the certification program. How are things going along with that?
1: Things are going wonderfully. Thank you for asking. Um, NACD directorship certification Uh, is still a young program, but we are about to hit our 1000th certified director and the program is going strong. We're seeing a lot of people who have interest to make sure that that they are committing to lifelong learning as directors, which is, in, in accordance with everything we've talked about today, a really critical piece is to stay abreast of what's happening, to stay abreast of leading practices but also for those newer directors who might be coming into the boardroom to make sure they walk in on day one with the tools and understanding of what it takes to be a good director. And so it's going quite well. We've also created an Excel, what we call an accelerate program. Uh, Normally to join NACD, you've already got to be a sitting director and this accelerate program brings in those, those people who might be in the uh, executive level who are headed for board service might be a diverse candidate. It's a great pipeline for some of our diverse candidates to come in from slightly different areas of the business and go through a two-year program that would include certification to really ramp up and be ready to be on boards. And so we're very excited about that in terms of creating that pipeline of the right directors for tomorrow.
0: And I'll just remind our listeners that a link to the information about the director certification program is provided in the cover memo that came with uh, today's podcast. And also flashing on your screen will be Kimberly's home phone number, which you can (laughs) dial. Operators are standing by to take your information. (laughs) Kimberly, thank you again, as always. We really value your yearly visits with us on the podcast and you're giving us the perspective of NECD, the organization that we all in the governance area respect and admire. Thanks again for joining us.
1: My pleasure, Michael, and thank you for all that you do in the governance community as well.
0: What an interesting conversation. Kimberly Simpson has offered us some very interesting thoughts on how corporate directors should be engaging on emerging issues involving the economy and its impact on the company, board refreshment, DEI, and cybersecurity. She's also shared with us information regarding recent NACD thought leadership and survey results on these and other important governance topics. Kimberly's also given us an important update on the successful implementation of NACD's director certification process. Valuable perspectives for board members struggling with their dramatically increased fiduciary oversight obligations. Thanks so much for joining us for today's episode of Governing Health. Be sure to subscribe to the full complimentary podcast series. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. There you'll be able to stay up to date with all our future episodes and to re-listen to the old ones. Until then, I'm your host, Michael Peregrine, saying thanks for listening.
1: This material is for general information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice or any other advice on any specific facts or circumstances. No one should act or refrain from acting based upon any information herein without seeking professional legal advice. McDermott, Will & Emery makes no warranties, representations, or claims of any kind concerning the content herein. McDermott and the contributing presenters or authors expressly disclaim all liability to any person in respect of consequences of anything done or not done in reliance upon the use of contents included herein. Copyright 2022, McDermott, Will & Emery. All rights reserved. Any use of these materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, Distribution or republication without the prior written consent of McDermott is strictly prohibited. This may be considered attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.